Welcome back to the Hoops Temple Podcast. Today we're a little thin on the front lines. No Nate, but joining me is Dylan Williamson from New Zealand. Dylan, how you doing? Not fantastic, man. Speaking of a little thin on the front line, the Clippers just cannot withstand the loss of Mason Plumley. It's um, tearing the team apart. It's destroying the team. We uh, just wrapped <laughs> up Clippers-Grizzlies. Clippers lose by four to, uh, I think, a 1-7 Grizzlies team at the time. 1-8, um, now 2-8. I'm, we're so lucky to have someone so close to the pod or within the pod be experiencing the James Harden experience firsthand. Like that's <laughs> that's a once in a lifetime thing that you'll remember forever. It's been I think five games now. How's it going? Oh, absolutely terrible. <laughs> it's 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 funny that I feel like um James Harden and Russell Westbrook are kind of like the opposite experience. Like when they're not on your team. Like I was a big James Harden fan. I'm wearing my James Harden shirt today that I bought several years ago because I just loved watching him shoot step backs and free throws all day when he was with the Rockets. Whereas Russell Westbrook, I absolutely like hated to watch and didn't like as a player. And now they're on my team and I'm like, man, I really love Russ. You know, just the energy, the vibes. He plays hard. And meanwhile, James Harden is like the worst offensive player in the NBA. The numbers before the game I, I looked at and there was something like Clippers were like 18 points better when James Harden is off the floor um, since he's come to the team. And most of it's just offense. Like the offense does not flow when he's in the game. You know, Kawhi is, is the guy that's most commonly matched with, with Harden. Um, Tyler's got sort of a stagger of Kawhi and Harden and then PG and Russ. And this this past game that we just lost to the Grizzlies, um, it was kind of the PG and Russ against second units that brought the Clippers back in multiple occasions. But yeah, the Kawhi being paired with James, I think makes his day, his life more difficult. I mean, think about the ways that Kawhi excels running pick and roll and running isolation. Um, it's not conducive to the way that James Harden plays. Um, and then the Clippers don't have a great pick and roll partner to run with Harden. Like he, there are a lot of times where he's running pick and roll with Zubats, and Zubats is just like a little bit too slow to be in the right position. Like he's getting decent separation, he gets downhill. He's never going to, you know, think about shooting. Like um. We just looked it up, and he still hasn't attempted a layup as a Clipper through man. What is it? Several several games now. Five, I think. That's insanity. Through five games and, and zero layups, he's shooting half of his shots as mid ranges. He before this game, he was making sixty percent on long mid ranges. So maybe it's not too terrible, but still. Um, but yeah, like Zubats isn't, I think, a good fit for him. He's a little bit slow. Doesn't have great hands, and isn't you know that Clint Capella jump up and crush alley oops. Um, and so he's having a hard time fitting in as well. I got to note, your demeanor is excellent. You have very, um, you've you've mastered your emotions, not to trade for your team to trade for Harden and then drop four straight and not to just be just screaming into the mic right now is impressive. When the Kings, the Kings lost two straight to Houston and I was, I was going to do, I was going to commit federal crimes. <laughs> like I, I couldn't hang on anymore. <laughs> You should know what it's like, right? Like you, you come off of being a, a, a Kings fan through some dark days and you you know, you sort of get accustomed to it. That's true. Um, now you did have the, the incredible run of being the best regular season team in the in the Western Conference last season or so the second best. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really, you know, got got your your hopes sky high so that you can be let down again. Being a fan of the Clippers is is just living with constant disappointment. Just having <laughs> okay. like everything right there just out of reach and, and never being able to quite grab it i think the clippers and the king of season like they always end but they end like 
just a couple weeks apart. Like it's like a 20, 30 win regular season difference. And then, or at least it was in like the Lob City era and like early um, Paul George and Kawhi era. But it's, it's a difference between that and like one more playoff series. And uh, maybe, you know what? It's a lot worse to have expectations. I'll give you that. Like, and and when the Kings are good, or at least not like the worst team in the league, it's it's a lot harder to watch their games because I actually like want them to win and like care about it instead of being like this team stinks and they're always gonna suck. There, there definitely is something to that idea of like the kind of mediocre teams are the most fun to watch. Like, I think back to like that um, you know, was it like twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen Clippers where they uh, probably yeah, twenty eighteen. Yeah, like Lou Will, Tobias Harris, Kalinari, Montrezl Harrell, and yeah. Patrick Beverly. Like, that, that was the most fun team to watch. <laughs> and now I'm getting, like, freaking, um, you know, Paul George, you know, floating while James Harden runs pick and roll to a mid-range jump shot. And the drop-off for Harden offensively has just been dramatic over the course of his career, where, like, in 2020, like, you couldn't, no one could stay in front of him still. He's, like, 34 points a night, like, guarding him. The game was called a little bit differently, and they, they've worked to to change that but you had to guard him from behind with your hands behind your back and now he can't get to the basket anymore now the clippers still have a positive point differential and they've lost a couple close games it'll be this one we just saw right now a seven point loss to the nets a two point loss to the jazz now do you think we won't mention the Mavs game okay we won't mention that <laughs> that game was over <laughs> about six minutes um <laughs> do we think there is upside for you know this is just the growth period we've got to see this out or like where are we at in uh in terms of the ceiling on this yeah i mean like absolutely when you're losing close games there's still some positive that you can you know, take away because a lot of a lot of close games are coming down to execution, um, and it's hard to execute when you've got these new pieces all together. And, and so, yeah, like that's that's the hope is that as you figure out the offense, particularly the offense, like the defense is one thing, but when you've got James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George, like you should be a pretty freaking good offense. And you know, the Clippers are scoring know, like 107 points per 100 positions, which is god awful. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, you you you'd hope that the offense is going to come around. And that they can figure it out, but like the, the pieces are a tough fit. Um, and Lawrence Frank does say, you know, the roster isn't set until you know until it's set, as in trades happen, um, signings happen, and so on. But yeah, there's there's still hope. But man, could you could you imagine a worse start to this um to this era? I compared them to the 2013 Lakers, where like they had a ton of talent. And it's still Kobe and Gasol and Dwight and Nash. And like, how can this go poorly? And it's just, that team was just old and old and like, just not as into it anymore. And and this Clippers team just through the, the couple games so far feels that way where there's just the energy isn't there. The hustle isn't there. Like their hustle and energy guy is PJ Tucker. Who's going to be like 40. He's crazy. Like he's, he's so like, you can't rely on someone that old or, and who is so limited offensively. I, I want to debut my, my Rajon Rondo theory or the Rondo theory with, with James Harden. The assists are there. The ball handling is there. The scoring seems to be there, but I just don't think he, he bodes with good offenses anymore. Um, the Rondo theory is when a team loses the, uh, a, a like high usage assist guy like the league leader in assists and then their offense gets better and more fun to watch the next season um like when rondo left the celtics or um or the kings well, or every team he's ever played every on. team he's ever played on <laughs> where like right now like you see the sixers like just kicking ass and like it's like everyone's getting in it's super fun and like i just don't think like when, when you have guys that are super high usage like if they're good enough it's worth it 
right? Like like Luca right now, maybe the usage rate is too high, but that dude's so insanely good that it makes it worth it. And Harden was that kind of player in 2020. He's still kind of playing that play style, and it just hasn't aged well. Just hasn't aged well. Yeah, and and the big thing is that probably like you mentioned, um, without the burst and the ability to get to the rim, um, it makes your drive less threatening, which then makes your three point less effective. And then it's harder to create space because no one is you know scared of you driving. Um, and yeah, like that's that's the big thing is James Harden was once a player where if he's on your team, you're a top five offense. Like he is that good. You give him the ball, you will be an elite offense. And he's just probably not that anymore. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, luckily for the Clippers, they didn't sacrifice the future like to to get Harden. It's not this massive Kevin Durant deal or something. Like, it was like two picks and heavy protections. And um, the Clippers are basically kind of in the same spot they were. Uh, they just are trying this this Harden experiment. Uh, their next game is against. I had it. I had it. Now I don't. The next game is against a mystery team. Please, for the love of all that is good, say the Washington Wizards. It's against Denver. <laughs> I'm sorry. I knew I was mentioning that for a reason. Yeah. Next game is against Denver. Can a five game slide turn into a six game slide? Probably. Uh, although Denver is still missing, you know, without Jamal Murray getting banged up. But transitioning a bit onto a team that's doing really well and got rid of James Harden, and now everything is great is the Sixers. Seven in a row, seven and one. What are you seeing from them Like that makes them just so special? The big thing is just that their offense has become even better since losing Harden. Um, the Rondo obviously, Theory. Rondo Theory. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's literally the Rondo Theory. You get rid of the, the lead offensive creator and your offense gets better. Now, like part of that is Embiid going from, you know, clear number one guy to... Number one guy, but Hodges got the ball most of the time, back to, you know, probably the clear number one guy. And maybe he's just a better offensive creator at this point than James Harden is. Um, I, th- I think he probably is. I don't think there's a, a maybe. Um, and then the other thing is the big step forward from Tyrese Maxey. Like, the dude, have you seen his assist-to-turnover ratio, just as an aside? It's like seven and a half assists to one turnover. Like, the dude just never turns the ball over, in, in addition to being a efficient score seven and a half to one that's that's pretty gnarly yeah 26 points on 48 39 92 shooting i mean crazy free throw shooting and the thing that impressed me most about maxi is he scores from everywhere from everywhere he gets to the line five times per game and shoots seven and a half threes like like we were talking with Harden, if the if the driving isn't there then it makes threes harder what if you're just great at both like what if you attack the basket with for that like insane uh, ferociousness and then also launch threes? No one can stay in front of you, and that's what Maxi's been up to. I had um when I predicted the Sixers to kind of be a middling 45, 44 win team because I figured the yeah, vibes would I really be didn't know what to do with them because I figured the vibes would be so bad that it's just like you know I I, I pictured an unhappy Embiid, but I think Nick Nurse has really kicked this team into gear. Um, and Maxi has not just like replaced James Harden, but is better than him right now and last season. As he is right now better than Harden was last season. Yeah, I mean that's probably the, well, that's that's true. Um, and the other thing is that Philadelphia in the James Harden era struggled to put together good, really good defenses. Um, Embiid in the past has been like a elite rim protector, um, but for whatever reason, once Harden was there. Um, he his defense really slid. Like the effort wasn't there, the impact wasn't there. Have you tried playing help defense for James Harden? <laughs> <laughs> no wonder it took Maybe a hit. It's, it's, 
it's too big of a task for anyone to possibly yeah. um, put together. Um, but now Philadelphia's figured out their defense as well. Maybe that's Nick Nurse. Maybe that's getting rid of James Harden, not having to cover up for him constantly. The, the Sixers are now a team that's pushing top five in offense and defense. Which, if, you, if you're saying, you know, Joel Embiid is this MVP, top three level of player, two-way guy, then you would hope that that would be the case, that you would be pushing those kind of numbers. And the the big thing is that their rim protection is suddenly awesome again. So opponents cannot finish when Embiid is in the paint. With better perimeter defense, rim protection gets so much easier. We're seeing that now in Minnesota with like Rudy Gobert being awesome again, like just this crazy defender, because instead of trying to cover for like Bojan Bogdanovic, or Joe Ingles, it's Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels. And I feel like that's pretty similar. Like Embiid gets to cover for Maxi, who's just, he's not a sub defensive ace, but he's better than Harden was. And, and that's pretty easy. Um, I want to mention, we got an email that I had to, we had to talk about. This is from PJ. PJ says, I'll read this verbatim. Hello, first time messenger, long time viewer here. I've been absolutely loving Maxi post Harden. He's proving himself as one of the best three level scorers and as a more than a competent defender. It is early to say this, but I've been adamantly arguing with my circle that Maxi is the best guard out of Philly since Allen Iverson. The biggest argument that spawned from this is if Maxi is better than Ben Simmons was. I firmly believe Maxi has more positive effect in the game. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the matter. What do you think, Dylan? We'll start at the core. Which is, do you think Tyrese Maxey now is better than Ben Simmons ever was? Three, two, one, yes. All right, moving on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, <two, one. laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just to dig into it a little bit more, like Ben Simmons at his peak was a really good finisher and transition player um, and a strong but overrated defender. And Tyrese Maxey, I think, is just a much higher level offensive creator. And the, that's the most important thing for a point guard. That's kind of the only competition. Looking back at the pre it's no it's there's no process uh point guards obviously not like no tony roden like love michael carter williams in a debut <laughs> maybe but it's, <laughs> it's first game of his career michael carter Drew williams. holiday made an all-star mm. team in philly and um yeah. andre miller are the two other uh, notable point guards so when iverson then miller is it better point guard or better guard best guard out of philly that i don't i don't think that changes though yeah <laughs> that doesn't really change because because miller and drew were kind of the best players on those teams yeah it's kind of kind of some dark days for philly well it, it, they were so mediocre I guess they it, through the entire process yeah <laughs> they were so average it spawned the process like they they um yeah. well, they tried it out yeah. like iggy and and holiday and elton brand and managed to get to 40 something wins and they're like tear it all down michael carter williams and i think that's right i think that's right and i think in like a couple months it'll be obviously right that i that maxi is is in Austin when he's an all-star and he is like it's too bad not that it's too bad but the all NBA voting being positionless like changes how we have to talk about this because we always could say like fringe all NBA but it's no longer like fringe top six guard it's just a top 15 player in the league which I don't think Maxi's gonna touch that's a really high bar maybe he can get there off the strength of uh like what is the word durability like um he is a guy that plays games mm. Um, and especially when you consider the new minimum game limits um, that will affect a lot of established guys. Um, you know, if, if you look at our top 15 from our preseason top 100, I, I, can do that right now. I mean, like how many of those guys are, you know, 70 plus game players? It's like Jokic and, you know, Tatum. Yeah, we have Jokic, Giannis will probably get there. Um, yeah, Giannis does play as well. Steph... 
50-50 hasn't. I mean, he hasn't, but I'm sure he'd like to. KD's not getting there in a billion years. Um, KD's averaging a 36 minutes per game, like 36 and a half at 35 years old. Not that it's unprecedented because guys have done it before, but the last guy to do that, 35 years or older, 36 minutes or more, was Michael Jordan in 03. Like, that's the competition we're yeah. talking and, about. And it's it's a huge offensive load that he's carrying with them. Massive. Some uh, yeah, absences early season. Although, yeah, book is back now. Maybe that'll make it easier on him. Yeah. I, can you imagine KD getting to 65 games, though? Like, how do you feel about that? That's probably like the over-under. Yeah. You know, it's like, the, that's the line. Embiid, uh, we know how Embiid is with his injuries tatum will play davis has those injuries booker's already missed quite a bit of time I, yeah i could see it. i mean lebron probably won't get there dame has been missing games obviously john morant off the jump can't get there i, I could <laughs> you know i could see maxi where do we have maxi heading into this season hmm. i feel like we were high on him but probably still too low on him we honestly we had him 48th that's pretty that's pretty high yeah that's pretty good honestly like right below right above zach levine great call i don't know who made that happen yeah. that was a great call that's that's good <laughs> <laughs> and then below van fleet which is van fleet has been pretty good in houston yeah houston's houston's look good um where would he where would we be looking at him now like who's like the guys that are around top 30 jamal murray the kind of harden and Kyrie. we had that that run of players like he, yeah, I, that, I, that feels about right yeah i think i would take him over like drew holiday brandon ingram Bradley Beal, Carthony Towns, right? You take, yeah. yeah, I would take Maxi. Maybe, I mean, I, yeah. it's possible it's like a really popular top 25 season and a couple injuries break his way and it's all NBA third team, Tyrese Maxi or something. Do you think the Sixers are the favorites coming out of the East right now? Is it still Boston? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's got to still be Boston. Yeah. Like, I don't think the Sixers can ever be favorites to come out of the East while, you know, until Joel Embiid proves that he can be a really high level playoff player. And we were saying how great Philadelphia has been on both ends of the floor, you know, pushing top five in both. Um, well, Boston already are top five in both. They're the, the only team that's top five in offense and defense. So I think they're still the clear favorites. But yeah, Philadelphia, a, a lot more likely than what we thought. Um, and probably like the team that we're going to be most wrong on. I remember when we did our, we had, um, who do we do the the Philadelphia projection with? Probably Lisco, right? Was yeah, here for yeah. that. You guys talked me yeah, down for yeah. that, though. I hate you all for that. I had him at I had him fifty wins. I had him at fifty wins. And you guys were like, "Oh, Harden's missing time," and I'm like, "No, we, we, you're right." I feel terrible for it now because, like, we had a, a Sixers fan on. Yeah. Um, and then we're like, "Man, your team's just gonna stink. Like, your your best player sucks. The vibes are awful. It's gonna be a rough watch. Like, forty four awesome. wins or something." And then yeah. <laughs> If you do have to mention that Kelly Oubre got hit by a car, it's just one of the most random NBA stories of the past 20 years. I think he he's fine. Let me double check. I, I think he was bruised a broken rib. His rib, hip, and leg injuries. Like, I, I just... He's out of the hospital. Yeah, um, I think I think it was reevaluated. Yeah, week. It says he sets him at significant, significant time. That That's a pretty big hit. Although I feel like they should... Oubre is going to shoot like he's, like he's on fire every game and so when he started off like just 67 percent shooting can't miss and sixers fans are like this is awesome it's like when he cools off he's still taking those shots it's like buckle up yeah, for that yeah. but maybe with him missing some time it's delaying that and he's gonna come back just as hot there's they're saving up on fire kelly Oubre. yeah so for all of kelly Oubre's brilliant scoring he the 
six to 15 points better when he's not on the floor. <laughs> That's um, bad. Get, get well soon, the most Kelly Oubre. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> get well soon. We can't, we'll say nothing. No, no ill intention to Kelly Oubre. But um, I agree with Boston, especially because Boston owns Philly. Like, if it's 50-50, you have to give it towards Boston, the way they played Philly over the years. I mean, they've owned them for, for years now. They have that team's number. In the same way Miami has both of those teams' numbers, uh, the Celtics always get uh, Philadelphia. Until Joel Embiid proves that he can dominate Al Horford, you gotta you gotta go with Boston. So that might be the one thing that could swing an argument towards Philly, is like, Boston does have to rely on Al Horford, who's, what, like 60, turning 63 this year? <laughs> does it matter? Oh. Does it ever matter? Does he <laughs> Does he play with any? Has he ever played with athleticism that, that mattered? He's 30, if, if, uh, 37. Plus yeah, like 37 is an old age to be the primary defensive assignment on a guy who's going to play, <laughs> you know, 38 minutes a game. I just don't know if he can hold up for those big minutes. And Kristaps Porzingis is not a good post defender. Like he does have a lot of value as a guy who's quite mobile and can defend the rim, but with just that high center of gravity, like Embiid's going to be able to move through him. And so that would be the one argument that you could make. It's a good argument because with Al playing just 24 minutes per game, like in against Philly last year, he averaged 32 minutes per game. Like, do you even want Al Horford out there that long? Like in in the year of 2024, like by the time you get there, I, I just don't think. That'd be at that point kind of detrimental to Boston, just having Horford having to play that much. It'd be interesting. I, I don't know who's gonna last or who's gonna break down first, Kristaps or Embiid. That's like someone's someone's breaking like an orbital. Iris is like they're getting banged up. No way. I do want to mention out of the East, the Pacers. I believe currently the best offense in the league. I should double check that. <laughs> I'm like 99 percent sure. But on the Hoop Simple podcast, we fact check just to be positive. Yeah, we, we first have to get the most up to date stat possible. First on offense and twenty fifth on defense. Now, let me ask you this: Nate, does that sound like any other team? Does that sound like another team from last season that everyone shit on all year? It's the oh, same yeah. place that my Kings were. <laughs> first and twenty fifth. Someone that... <laughs> that's incredible. That this year's Kings. They're this year's Kings. Their offense is unbelievable. Halliburton is scoring at a high level, dishing at a high level. What are you thinking? I mean, they're currently the three seed with um with their like Bruce Brown addition, and they still have Miles Turner. And Matherin had a really slow start, but it's turning around. It just seems to be a super deep team that has a lot of fun playing together. Yeah, like their their role players are all sort of like uh, clicking at the right time. Like um, this is a team that has a really high level creator and. And Halliburton, but it's not like a it's not a one man show kind of offense. Um, although he does create, you know, uh, I don't know the stats, but I think he creates like the most points per game on assists plus scoring or near enough. And and then yeah, he's scoring incredibly efficiently himself, forty percent on seven and a half three pointers per game. Man, lights out. Combined shooter. with with almost twelve assists, like that's a really hard player to defend when you can't. Um, you know, you, you can't hedge him hard off of a screen. Uh, you can't bring two into the play and leave someone else unguarded because he's going to find that guy every single time. And so he becomes really hard to deal with. And like a, like a you know, James Harden from five years ago, or like a Nikola Jokic, where you can't defend him one-on-one, but you also can't bring help. And it gives a really um, tough decision for opposing defenses. And then you combine that with the fact that like everyone else that plays any minutes is... Locking down shots as well. 
Like Bruce Brown is over 40% from three on four attempts. Miles Turner is over 40%. Aaron Neesmith is shooting 50% on four attempts. So like everyone's knocking down shots and they're, they're getting good looks and they're knocking them down, which is the, the two most important parts to scoring the basketball. We figured it out. We broke the code. <laughs> Open shots and knocking them down. <laughs> Um, Halliburton, 24 points and, well, 23.6 and 11.6 assists. 11.6 assists is kind of insane. I feel like um, the league, I'm trying to remember, in Moneyball, the relief pitcher that throws funny, that that's, you know, have you seen Moneyball? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, Chad Bradford. This is Chad Bradford. Chad he, Bradford. he throws funny because he's a submarine <laughs> pitcher. And Halliburton has this, like, funky release, and it kind of scared people. And yeah. he just pulls into threes. Well, he's also really tall. And so that like kind of funky form doesn't really affect him. It's a super quick release and he just hits it from anywhere. And if you didn't, if you just got rid of that shot form, you wouldn't think twice about his selection. I don't think it's affecting him in the slightest. Like he, he'll pull up into, into threes from range. Like if you go under a screen, he's just going to take it, just take it straight over you. One of the, best players in the league one of those one of the most dangerous offensive players in the league we had him 21st on our top 100 that's pretty good that's pretty good we were, we were high on it we were calling this <laughs> yeah that's right i mean we had a sabonis out of him that's been a that's been bad that's that is just yeah. what just in a vacuum yeah. that's the wrong look but he's yeah. you know right there above him it's like siakam and anthony edwards and john moran i think we we're pretty pretty much nailed that um i want to talk about the timberwolves the timberwolves are good mm. Dylan, this might be the best Timberwolves team ever of all time. I'm, I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm serious. <laughs> I, like it's, I think that's right. And like, I know it's a super small sample size. Um, by SRS are like the greatest team of all time, so I'll ignore that. Uh, but really, they're only contending with a 2000, the 2004 MVP KG year, which was a 58 win team that lost in the conference finals. If you told me this team was like just as good as that team, I, I don't think you're that crazy. If let's just you could just say this, it's the second best T Wolves team ever, and that's inarguable. Like no other T Wolves team has been top two, and maybe not two. Yeah, top two, maybe not two. There's been in the, the defense is back in the NBA, and it's. And it's right here in Minnesota. What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy that how well this um, roster has shaken out. Like, you really struggle to find a floor. You know, you've got your defensive anchor in Gobert, who's reestablished himself after we came on in the preseason. And we're like, this dude just hasn't got it anymore. Like, he's not the same impact. Um, dudes aren't scared of him. He's not deterring shots. He's not, um, you know, dropping opponent shots. Well, they're the number one, number one defense again. Um, another Rudy Gobert top defense. Like you said earlier when we were talking about the Sixers, having better perimeter defense makes it easier for you to defend the rim as well. And McDaniels, Edwards, like these are guys who are not going to give up a lot of blow buys and are not going to put a huge amount of pressure on Gobert. You combine that with having size, like Kyle Towns isn't a great defender, but there is value to just being big. And, you know, defense is a big part of, so rebounding is a big part of defense, not fouling, which you can do by just being bigger than guys and not having to you know, overextend on contests is a big part of defense. And then, and then you combine that with Anthony Edwards. We, like you just listed out, we had him as a top 25 player coming into the season. Top 20, 18, in fact. And then that they, 18. Good on us, wow. right? <laughs> Man, we are. <laughs> and as long as we don't talk about Sabonis, we're making ourselves look really smart. All right, he's been okay. Uh, he's been okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you got like these veteran guys like Mike Conley and Kyle Anderson, where like 
we talked about Memphis last week, I think, about what are they missing? Well, it's guys like Kyle Anderson who they had, some of these glue guys that can just do a lot of things. And, uh, you know, we haven't even mentioned the best player on the Timberwolves, um, current sixth man of the year favorite, Nas Reed. Nas Reed, the best player of all time. I love what they're doing with their big rotation because you're right in all that stuff. Like at any given point, Gobert, Towns, or Reed are on the floor. And that just brings a ton of size. And it's really hard to handle if you're the other team. And they built just a beautiful defensive team with with insane point of attack defense and like seven two seven nine wingspan Gobert just kind of hanging out under the rim. And before, like in Utah or even last season, when they hadn't really solidified that perimeter defense yet, when as you know, when Gobert gets brought into screen, they're trying to switch him onto the ball handler. And instead of I don't know why I keep picking on Joe Ingles, but it's the only jazz player I can think of. Well, because Conley was on both, so I can't pick on him. Yeah, but Conley's always in Jordan Clarkson. Songs. Jordan Clarkson, like a Jordan Clarkson, <laughs> gets screened and he just gets eaten up. Compare that to Anthony Edwards, where like he just you can't screen him at times. Like he's so fast, so athletic, he just gets around it, makes up for for lost space, and closes out and prevents. Let's you know, cuts the amount of times Gobert is put in a really awkward position in half, and so he can just focus on being a crazy rim protector, which he has been. Yeah, and speaking of Moneyball. And it's some um, basketball equivalent of Mori Ball. Mori Ball. There's sort of there's sort of two sides to Mori Ball, which is basically the idea that you take the most efficient shots possible, which are layups and three pointers. Well, there's also like a Mori Ball inverse, where the way that you can create a really efficient defense is by not giving up layups and not giving up three pointers. Um, and that's something that the Wolves have been able to do very well, where they don't allow hardly any shots at the rim. And they allow a whole lot of long mid-range jump shots. Man, I, I never even considered the inverse of Mori Ball. Wow. Like analytics, but on the defensive end. Defense is, excuse me, defense is back, man. We're here. We're, we're back. We're so fucking back, Don. The league's playing defense again. <laughs> it's, in, it's in a lot of fun to see. Current three seed there. They're six and two. That rating a plus 10. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Fucking um, like a 61 team. And even with that, like... Karanthi Towns has been, I mean, I'll put it lightly, he's been fucking terrible. He's been awful um, offensively. Yeah. He can't shoot the ball, doesn't really fit in, but it's still working. And I, I was, I just wonder what you could get for Towns, or even if you'd want to trade him. Like, what do you, what do you think about the Towns situation? Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of an um, elephant in the room with the Timberwolves that they are about to, about to get extremely expensive with Anthony Edwards' contract long-term big money go beer under contract long-term big money Carl towns under contract long-term big money they are about to become ridiculously expensive um and minnesota is not you know los angeles it's not one of these massive markets with one of these you know billionaire owners um they're not a team that's going to be in the second luxury right and so the elephant in the room is that one of these guys has to go either in the season or or in the next off season like they can't carry these three guys um all three of them on the roster and so someone has to go and i do think that right now carl towns is probably the most obvious solution and that he has probably the best value um obviously you're not trading edwards no and it's very difficult to trade gobert um unless you know there's another minnesota Timberwolves in the league <laughs> which sadly for them there isn't have they called the next so it has to be <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> and so it, it has to be towns who like you said not the most inspiring offensive performance. He's not the linchpin of, of the defense, obviously. 
um, but still probably the guy with the best value. And so I do think that that's the guy that has to go. And then the, the, the question becomes, what are you trying to get back? Are you trying to get another offensive, you know, wing? Are you going smaller? Are you trading for like a Zach Levine? Or are you just saying, you know, let's get some, you know, and like an OG and an OB type where you're saying we've got offense from Anthony Edwards. Now we just need the pieces to fill in around him. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, that's like Russell Celtics defense shit, dude. My goodness, that's just that's scary. I, you know, I still like I can't picture the Raptors um doing anything that 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 makes them either a contender or really bad. Like they're just they've been determined <laughs> yeah. to be in the middle since like 2020. Yeah, I still see as the Knicks like the Knicks are just gonna be star hunting. They're still interested in Towns. They've been linked to Towns for what feels like since the Gobert trade didn't like start awesome. Like hey. Like, look, look at it for Carly Towns. Like, the Knicks might be on that. I just don't know what the Knicks are offering that make that worth it. But maybe just financial flexibility to build a different team and get some assets back is is worth it. Half of me wants that. Like, get Towns out of here. He thinks he's the guy. He's not the guy. Let's let's fix this. Kind of like what Philly did, basically. Just power by the power from the people. Or, but half me is saying like, no, Towns is like one of the best offensive bigs in the last 20 years. Dude can shoot like from anywhere and he's um, a very talented scorer. That's exactly what the Timberwolves need next to Gobert or next to Edwards is as another big guy that can space the floor and just wait for him to start hitting his shots again. Not not really sure how I'm feeling quite yet. Yeah, I mean, that is, that is the big thing. And that, like I was just saying, though, with how well constructed this roster is, Part of what you need to make Rudy Gobert work is a, another front court guy, a guy at the four who is a real threat from deep. And like Towns hasn't been shooting the best this season. He's at about 32.5%, but he's checking up almost six threes a game. So like there is still a, a floor spacing element that he's providing just with the threat of that shooting. Um, you know, it's not a guy that you can leave. It's not a guy who's going to pass up open shots. Um, and so that does really still provide some value. On the point that you made about Toronto of their seeming insistence on perpetual mediocrity, isn't it time that Masai did something Masai? Like he's known as like the big swinger, the guy that takes these big swings for these star players, the guy that pushes in his chips, the guy that's creative. And he spent like the last few seasons just like signing middling guys who are six nine and <laughs> you know winning forty games. Like, isn't it, isn't it time for some sort of swing? With Masai, he's not going to make that swing unless he can take, like, the a top five player in the league in Kawhi Leonard for nothing. Unless that's the deal, he just seems to be not interested. I got to give it to him, though. I mean, the Scotty, Scotty Barnes looks fantastic. Dennis Schroeder signing, I laughed at, like, out loud. He's been pretty good. Like, he's been, been totally fine. The Raptors have been pretty competent. Uh, we had our pod, like, our, our initial week on reactions pod, and my disappointing team was the Raptors. Because they or offense was so so tough to watch that I just wasn't super interested. Um, but that would probably be fine. I'm looking at the trade machine right now. I just don't see a way Towns can be flipped for OG because you got to make up about twenty million bucks. Unless mm. like it's this huge deal and Siakam is involved, but like yeah, then that that's also defeating the point of trying to save some money if you yeah, but yeah, Siakam is an expiring, and then you just extend him for literally the exact same contract. They could like. That like Thad Young, Otto Porter. <laughs> I mean, I just don't know to see how Gary Trent. No, you can no, you could do this. Gary Gary Trent <laughs> and Otto Porter. Let's see, because Gary Trent's an expiring success. Carl Anthony Towns for OG and Anube. OG and Anube. 
How do you say that? Say it. OG and Anobi. I don't know why I got so <laughs> caught up on that. OG and Anobi. <laughs> Gary Trent and Otto. You're having your, you're having your Bill Simmons <laughs> And Otto Porter Jr. I always struggle with that. that. That's the one name that gets me. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. I could see that. I mean, Otto Porter is nothing. Trent's pretty good. Give him that. And, and OG's pretty good. Obviously, he's like incredible. But okay. that That's interesting. I yeah. appreciate that trade idea. Yeah. And maybe like, you know, does the Timberwolves need, team need like another just chucker, like, um, you know, a second unit guy who can put up shots? Get that real, um, you know, 2018 Clippers, um, Lou Will and Montrezl Harrell bench going with Nas and um, Gary Trent. They do have time, obviously, because these contracts aren't going anywhere. <laughs> like Carl Anthony Towns is going to be on this roster, whether you like it or not, in 2028 or something. So they are stuck with that. And maybe now it's just not the time. But man, would you not just crush that OG trade if you could get it? If you're Minnesota, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, the, the difficulty that Minnesota runs into is they need to trade Towns because he's disappointing. But him being disappointing makes him harder to trade. It's the uh, the the plight of Carl Anthony Towns. But hey, they they, they worked and, out. And Julius Randall yeah. and um, so on and so on. <laughs> I I made a video when Randall started the season putting up just some of the worst shooting numbers i've ever seen in my life i made a video and someone said in the comments he's just trying to get traded like for what to who like who the fuck would want that like i i just there there is a randall trade it doesn't exist it's it's like the reverse carmelo to the knicks thing <laughs> where like carmelo forced his way like he could have signed with the knicks in the off season uh, but instead he played at a really high level forced the trade and that results in the Knicks trading absolutely all their good players. <laughs> and so that when he got there, there was nothing there. And so Randall's learned from that. And he's like, all right, I'm just going to play as terribly as possible. So that when I get traded, they're trading me for like matching salary and a second round pick. And then I'll have uh, you know a good team around me. What's matching salary? Like the only team I can think of that would do that is the Knicks. Like only the Knicks would be interested. And like they already <laughs> have him. They already signed that guy. Like you can't just trade around all the all the dumb franchises. And the Kings aren't. Our Kings uh, usually could be picked on, but seem to be off limits. I want to touch on them just a little bit because the last podcast episode was the Kings funeral. Me and Jack just moping like children about the two Houston losses and we couldn't see how things it cost to get better. Next two games were much better. Beat Portland, then beat OKC in a convincing fashion. I gotta warn you, the Kings have a above average defense right now. And honestly, I thought I was losing my mind watching Kevin Herter and Sabonis play awesome defense. Like they really improved their defense this season and they couldn't hit a shot. They the offense fell just completely floor just fell from under them their offense wasn't there but they like are kind of good on defense now i'm curious to see if like this has been by far the best defensive season from sabonis is this like an is this the new chapter i thought it might be that he adds some range like he starts hitting jumpers but it's actually that he he has been pretty good on defense have you seen any king's basketball this year um no but i mean like i've seen the odd game haven't focused on them a whole mm-hmm. lot um, I think we've, we've sort of got that corner covered on this podcast. It's not one I have to devote <laughs> a lot true. of time to. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, Sabonis just decided, you know what, we were awesome on offense last year. How about we just don't make any shots, but we'll get stops. And then next year, we'll put both of those previous seasons together and we'll be a good team. I actually feel like in training camp and out the offseason, they focus so heavily on defense that they just started the season really slow offensively and i'm curious to see where we end up i'm hoping for a top five offense again and like 
it may be the 20th best defense or something. Cause that's just the person we're rocking with, but we kind of have like some good defensive players. Like Keon Ellis started both of the last two games and he has been great defensively. And I, and I've been calling for Keon Ellis minutes since last season and to go from Keon to Davion, that that's actually really tough for opposing guards. Like you're always going to be kind of hounded by a, a, an all defensive caliber guard, at least in college, but <laughs> A college all defensive caliber guard where they got those awards, but um, I'm kind of into it. Kind of into it. We're we're, uh, we're back. It was over, and now we're back. And and the way that they've done it, if we look at the defensive breakdown, is embracing that inverse Mori ball. This is the team that gives up the fewest shots at the rim and the eighth least amount of threes. Now, opponents do shoot over seventy percent when they get to the rim. That's the downside of not having a great rim protector. But if you just never allow layups, like this, this is a team that allows the most mid-range shots in the league. That's a way that you can juice a defense with defensive deficiencies. Combine that with they don't give up any offensive rebounds. Um, one of the best defensive rebounding teams in the league. Um, and they've got some, you know, they've got some ball sharks in Davion and Keon and guys that can, um, you know, force turnovers. So there, there are defensive pieces here that you can put together. And if you combine that with Kevin Herter being able to hit a freaking three-pointer again, then maybe this is the way that this team can get back to that really elite play that we saw last year. I think it's I think it's there. I think it's possible. Um, like Kessler Edwards has been great on defense. I'm just waiting for Harrison Barnes to stop playing. I, at some point, it's got to happen. There's just the, the, the stats tell you that guy shouldn't be out there. After every game, like even the last game against OKC, he played awesome. He's still out there, like one of eight shooting. And if anyone's having a good score night, it's because he's the primary matchup. I mean, he picked up a majority of Jeremy Grant's 38 points where Grant struggled to score on basically everyone else. He was like two of four against Davion. Davion's like six foot flat. That makes sense. But when Edwards is on him or Keegan is on him, he really struggled to score, but he was like four of six shooting against uh, Harrison Barnes as he just can't navigate screens anymore. And it's just really, really struggling. But yeah. Is um, Keegan suddenly a defensive stopper? Like uh, the one game that I've, the last game I remember watching was against the Warriors, and he was the primary assignment on Steph Curry. Like, has he has he just become just a elite on ball defender? We're good on defense, dude. All of a sudden, like, he's <laughs> pretty good defensively. It's on. It's kind of insane to watch. Uh, the kid last time the Kings were better defensively than they were on offense. Oh, I forget. But I, it was like it's a sad stat, not a fun stat. It's like 2012, and we were the 22nd defense and 25th offense. That's like that's our version of that. I'm kind of into it. I'm kind of and Fox is coming back this next uh this next game. Curious what our rotations will look like, but the Kings really flex their depth in a way against these past these past two games because they went from getting blown on Houston to starting a guy who had never started before, and then they didn't play McGee and didn't play Vizenkov, and it's just tough to say like you have 14 guys that can play. The only guy that hasn't seen like legitimate rotation minutes is the Clippers guy they just got. That's the huge guy. That, you know what I'm talking about? Petrusev. Like he's like oh, he's on the roster from, and he's from the... he's the only one that hasn't hasn't seen any time yet. Even like Jordan <laughs> Ford's gotten out there a bit. Um who went to high school right by me, but we'll leave the we'll leave the uh the kings there. Now that yeah. we'll just say one good one thing before you move on. Um is that I do think that we should not be giving up on the Kings. I think that this is a team that is going to um regress positively towards a mean that they are underperforming right now. 
looking at their breakdowns, it's like, what are they doing differently than last year? Well, it's mostly just missing three balls. And if those threes can start going down again, um, you get Fox back who can generate more free throws, which is the other thing that they're not doing well. Um, more free throws, more three-pointers go down. All of a sudden, their offense is really good, and you have the best defensive shot profile, I believe. I mean, think about it. If like the Warriors lost Steph and they went 2-2, two and two, would you even think about it? Or if the Nuggets lost Jokic, obviously those are better. Than, those guys are better than Fox, but using your best, losing your best player really sucks. Like It really sucks, and your team is a lot worse because of it. Fox gets Sabonis good looks, and that turns into open three-pointers. I think that's really where it was, is without Fox who's getting that drill penetration who's getting those kickouts like who's getting sabonis the ball underneath the rim but now that nate's not here do you want to kick around the lakers a little bit <laughs> he, he he did ask us last week what we were gonna you know if we had any ideas on what we were gonna do and we're like well since you're not gonna be on here we can just do a whole podcast <laughs> on how, how shitty the lakers are um and they are looking pretty shitty with the lakers I think they're kind of just in the same spot they were last year, which is interesting because last season, the second half, they were playing like a really high-level basketball. Um, Davis is still awesome, 23 points, 12 boards, 3 assists, 3 blocks. LeBron, his numbers are great, 25-8-5, but it doesn't feel like he has that every game, like that crazy LeBron level. It's not going to happen on the second night of back-to-back. I mean, he's he's almost 40 years old, and you're, and you're, you're you are seeing that pretty good Cam Reddish game last game at i think six threes but if he breaks if he breaks the six point per game mark i'll get excited about it i can't i don't want to get i don't want to get too into it yet but i just i don't really see the path for this team to be a contender they've got this sort of um real bad dichotomy right now where with lebron on they are not super elite like they're they're a plus 5.6 which is like decent when you've got your best player on the floor you'd want to be a lot higher than that um but They've got that classic LeBron problem where for some reason, no matter what you do, LeBron's teams can never do anything well when he's not on the floor. Um, plus 38.3 on off, 38 points better when, wow. when LeBron is on. <laughs> Whoa. And, and still not that great when he's on. And it's on, it's on both ends. Like They cannot score when he's on, and they also cannot get a... Sorry, when he's off. And they also cannot get a stop when he's off. And this was supposed to be, you know, Rob Polenka executive of the year best deepest roster in the league um and we're just seeing another iteration of of that shit shuffle. yeah <laughs> of the shit shuffle i've been telling people the offense is so stagnant with lebron sits i just feel bad for lebron i remember when i was like 12 and lebron was winning titles in miami and i hated lebron because i was at 12 for the va fan but also we're gonna do right and uh, I remember yeah. like looking. <laughs> I was nothing with you, brother. <laughs> I remember looking up his age and being like, "Man, thank God we don't have to deal with this much longer. Like, he's already 32, <laughs> and like it's almost over." Because um, at the time, like guys retired and they're like 36, 37. Like unless you were Kareem or Carl Malone, like that longevity didn't really exist. Um, and he's obviously broken that. But eventually, I mean, we all anticipated the one A, one B into Anthony Davis is the one. He's the superstar. He's the everyday player. And LeBron gets to show up when he needs and take his rest days. But LeBron is going to be the best player on this team until he retires. Like that's that transition's never coming. It's never happening. Yeah. I mean the other out that they had was, you know, a all-star type season from Austin Reeves, who was on the national team, was one of the most hyped players coming into the season, had a great playoff run. Um, and he is worse than he was last year. Much worse. 
Where did we? I think we had him 60? Reeves, 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 Reeves. 61. A mm, little too high. A little too high. That's all right. Um, yeah. They don't have that he, third score. How about Reeves yeah. and um, Hachimura for Kyrie? Would you do that? Who says no? Reeves and Hachimura for Kyrie. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe the team that's like top five and offense <laughs> with Kyrie. <Irving>. Okay. <laughs> I have a stat for you that I meant to say a while back, but my brother texted me on air, texted me. He said, Clippers are minus 67 with James Harden on the court through four games. They are plus 24 with him on the bench. Just toss that out there. We talked to him earlier, and when you mentioned LeBron um, and that insane plus minus, it's it's kind of a similar story. But He's, he's the inverse James Harden. He's the inverse. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I want to mention one other thing. Looking at the, the, the standings as they are, I think there's really only two teams that like really, I mean, there's a couple teams, but they're kind of already set. Like there's no like, whoa, that team is seven and two. Like that's crazy. It's kind of all like seems about right. The Bucks are five and four. The Cavs are four and five. Those teams I thought would be really good and they're kind of struggling. Do you have any reason to think they're not going to finish the season as a playoff team? No, God no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They'll be in the playoffs or as a top six seed, they'll recover. They'll be okay. Uh- yeah, like greater than fifty percent chance. All right, and then it, out west, the the Lakers and the Suns are the eight and nine at four and five. I don't feel super strongly that those teams are locks for a high seed with the way they played and the injuries they've suffered, especially Phoenix. But the only one that's like, yeah, that team will probably figure this out is the Clippers. They're three and five at the moment. They're the eleven seed, but we're already kind of seeing this shake out, kind of similar to similarly to what we had envisioned. The oh, sorry, the huge one is Memphis, one and eight. Should have mentioned that, but I don't. I don't see that changing. Um, we kind of have a. I don't feel like any team is unnaturally hot or, or like wildly cold. I think Memphis is kind of is who they are without Jaw, and the rest kind of is as it is. So I mean, you're a, a Houston believer. Yeah, I think they'll they'll still land around. A, like I think that that's going to be a ten seed. Like yeah, they're set there. They're at the four seed at the moment, but they are playing good basketball. I, I can't deny that. Um, they're playing playoff level basketball with Van Fleet and Brooks and the offense looks good and they're giving a shit and they try hard. And it's so much better from last year really is. Um, do you have any rockets yeah. notes? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's crazy how light and day it is. Light and day, night and day it is from, from last year. Seriously. Um, with, with just like this no hope team that sucks on both ends. And now they're like the, the try hard team who's top 10 on offense and defense. I think the tryhard is a great point. You bring in a coach who really cares. And Van Fleet and Brooks, if anything, try all the time. Like high energy, high effort, yeah. high standards. It's it's good stuff in Houston. But I think that's it for us. Do you have any final NBA notes or are you good to go? No, I think we're good. Dylan, where can the people find you? Every week on the Hoops Temple podcast, except for next week, by the way. <laughs> all right. Except for next week. <laughs> and, you can, and you can find me. Um, on possible chairs on TikTok and uh, every week on the Hoops Hill podcast, including next week. I will. Thank you for listening.